0: Oh. Can, you, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. There you go. Okay. Brilliant. So, in recent weeks, as, a, as an eldership, we've been getting really excited about a brand new preaching series. And we've been preparing for it. We've been talking about it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really awesome. and We're really excited about it. We're really preparing for it. And, it, and it's this great new prepared series is going to begin next Sunday. <laughs> um, and so, you know, what's happening this Sunday? So, I, to be honest, I actually thought Justin was going to do something. Um, I'm thinking Justin may have thought that Joe was going to do something, and then maybe Joe thought I was going to do something. And, and, and so, we all thought it was, it was all sorted until Thursday, when it became apparently clear, it wasn't all sorted. Um, and feeling slightly anxious, I, I, I kind of agreed to, to try and to try and do something for today and so i was praying to god thinking god what what am i going to share today um i was you know i wanted to share something about the fact that we are going to into a new season um we're going to 2020 off the back of ashburnham you know new ground going to a new season um and I, and I and i couldn't quite work out what to what to preach on um, i think god gave me just one thing About when Jesus talks about new wine and new wineskins, but there wasn't much context behind it, so I was was a little stuck. And then um, Rachel, my wife, reminded me that I did a a, a teaching sort of study thing on Nehemiah a few months back. And I thought, oh yeah, I can see where you're going with this, God. Okay, it all makes sense um, as I I preach. So, So today, we're going to go old, 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 old school and go into the Old Testament. And so if you have your Bible, if you can turn to Nehemiah. Hopefully I can get the slides up. And I'm going to preach from Nehemiah chapter 1. Okay. And I'm calling this sermon a Nehemiah church. So I'm going to read from the screen. And you can either use your phones or use your Bible as of. And basically, just before I start, this sermon that I'm going to sort of cover over, cover briefly the first five chapters of Nehemiah, but I'm only going to read chapter one. And here we go Nehemiah's Prayer. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that have survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Then I said... Lord of God of heaven, the great and awesome God, he keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayers of your servant is praying before you today and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins of we Israelites, including myself, and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commandments decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying if you are unfaithful I will scatter you among the nations but if you return to me and obey my commands then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon I will gather them, I will gather them there and bring them to the place I have chosen as the dwelling place for my name. There you They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man as I was the cupbearer to the king. So, I like... Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, normally when you think of Nehemiah, We think of this is a story where um, Israel basically rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. They rebuild their city. And, and, and so normally Nehemiah is a great place to go when you talk about rebuilding. Um, and for me, it's, it's also a great place to go when you talk about mission. And as a church, we're going to go into a new season. Now we're moving out of an old season. You could call it the 2019 season. And we're moving into a 2020 season the 2020 vision season, or the 2020 goal season. I want to say 2020, I'm not literally talking about as in 2020, as in 12 months and then it stops. I'm talking about us changing gear from where we are now to a place where actually God wants to move us to, where we're going to be operating missionally on a different gear, not just next year, but years going forward. And so for me, what I've got today is basically four takeaways from Nehemiah, from the first five chapters of Nehemiah, missional cha- takeaways that I believe is very important for us as a church to learn and take on board. And the first one is, um, the first missional takeaway is lament. So this, is, this is meant to be Nehemiah praying to God. Lament. So in chapter one, which is what we just read, is Nehemiah, he hears the report of Israel. And there are a broken, broken city there are broken people, um, he, he, there's a sense of disgrace, a sense of shame, um, they're vulnerable, they're exposed, they're vulnerable and he's heartbroken and he mourns, he weeps he, he for days and then he comes before God with a lament. Now lament is a funny word. Um, as Christians and in church we don't tend to talk about lament because it's kind of an Old Testament thing. You know, it's big in the Old Testament, not so big in the New Testament. It does happen in the New Testament, but it's not so overtly. Not so, there's not as many places in, in the New Testament. So, and so in church, we tend not to talk about lament. And I think it's a, it's a tremendous shame, because when it comes to mission, I think lament is a wonderful tool. Because lament is about empathy. Lament is about grieving and mourning and recognising the hurt of others. And I think it's a brilliant place, when it comes to mission, a great place to start is by recognizing the hurt of others. Now, a few years ago, I was finishing my degree, and for my dissertation, I was doing a dissertation on mission. So I read a number of books, and and there were lots of good books, but a lot of books tend to focus on strategy, and tend to focus on being successful, and how to get bums on seats, basically. And, And although some of the strategies were interesting, I found the books a little bit callous, because they were so focused on numbers, they were not focused on people. And it's really hard to have empathy on, on numbers. It's really hard to grieve for numbers. Um, but you can grieve for people. Um, this year, I, I, I did grieve for one particular person. Uh, one particular person I grieved for was the late Rachel Evans. She passed away um, about a few months ago. Um, and she was younger than me. She's actually 38 when she died. And she left behind two young children, one's only a baby. And so I, I was upset about that. Uh, and I tuned into her funeral. You can, get, get, you can actually watch the funeral if you go to the website. And I watched the funeral, and, and one of the several people that came up to talk about her life, etc., was her old youth leader. So think, of, so think of him a bit like Josh Biggs, okay? And she was, like, in Solid at the time. Um, and, he, and he told this story, which is quite interesting. He told this story at the time that, as a youth leader, he was trying to get them to do mission and evangelism. So he had this idea is that what we're going to do, we're going to have our dots and these dots are people, so you have a number of dots, and each dot represents a person that you're going to pray for, for them to get saved. And one of these young people in the youth group was quite keen, and they were so keen that they actually went to one of their dots, and they told their dot that they are a dot, and that they were praying for them as a dot. And one they do will be saved as a dot. And when Rachel heard Evans, because she was in the local school, and she found out about this, she went back to the youth leader, and she said, this ain't right. These people are not dots. They don't want to be dots, they don't like being called dots, they're people. You can't just, 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 just paint them all off in one colour, as, as counters, or as targets, or as dots. They're people with stories, they're people with, 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 from different situations, and you need to understand where they're coming from, and you need to have empathy, and you need to be able to grieve for their situation. If, you've got, if you really want to do mission right, this is what you've got to do. And, and it's like one of the major things that really stuck with him as a youth leader going forward. And so for me, Rachel is correct. You know, as when it comes to mission, we can't see people as targets. We can't see people as dots or counters or numbers. They're people. There's 7.7 billion, not numbers, but people in the world. And we need to understand that each, every one of them have a story. God knows them by name. And so when it comes to mission, you know, it's, it's, there's something about being willing to, take it, take, to recognize the burden that they're going through to the point it becomes our own burden, to the point that we can lament just like Nehemiah lamented. And the great thing about Nehemiah's lament, it, it's not, it, he's not simply whinging. He's not simply crying. But he turns to God. Why? Because he recognizes that actually, even though the situation is grim, it's not the end of the story. And the reason is not the end of the story, because he knows that God can do something about it. So lament is what turns us to God. Lament is what drives us to turn to God and, and cry for him to do something. So that's the first mission we'll take away. Now the second mission we'll take away, I've called it New Change, New Material. So in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, basically he goes to the king of Persia. He gets permission to go to Jerusalem. And on the way to Jerusalem, he basically um, he, he basically puts in an order, A bit like you know if, if, you know of Amazon or something. He puts in an order. He puts in an order for new timber. Why? Because he wants to build some new gates for for the walls of Jerusalem. And I thought about that, and what popped in mind was you know what Jesus said about new wine and new wineskins. skins. See the link, new wines and new wineskins. Because what Jesus was saying is, in order to hold new wine, you're going to need new wineskins in order to facilitate the new wine. In order to have a new city wall, you're going to need new timber to be able to build up the new city wall. And, to, and in order for church to experience um, a, a new move of God in its community it's right to also expect that God to want to bring change to the church in order to facilitate the new things that God wants to do in their community. Now again, going back to some of those missional books I used to read, um, it's interesting. A lot of those missional books like the idea of being successful. They like the idea of growth. They like the idea of, of people out there changing. There's very little mention of people in here changing. And I thought about that. I thought, why is that? Why are we so uh, reluctant to change? And I think there's two reasons. There's two reasons why church doesn't like to change. One is um, we, we've become rigid. Actually, I think we've become stubborn. You know, we've become, you know, especially in England. I, I think actually in other parts of the world they're much better at this. But in England, we've been in this, this Christian game a long time. We've been doing this for a long time. And we have kind of, kind of got stuck in our ways. We, you know, we're kind of good at what we do. We know how to do church. We've been doing it for a long time. And so we know what we're doing. And so we've kind of, kind of given up on learning new things. You know, we, we like the idea of people out there learning new things. And we like the idea of church growing. But we don't think we, God can really teach us anything new. Because we've been doing it for a long time. And I think actually this is one of the major problems we have in England as a problem when it comes to the church, when it comes to mission. Because you know, broadly speaking... The UK church is not doing brilliantly when it comes to mission, broadly speaking. And I think it's because we've been stuck in our ways. We've become rigid. And look at me, God can use us still, and God does use us still, but God using a rigid church is a bit like someone trying to do DIY with cheap tools. I know this personally, because I'm a cheapskate, and I remember years ago, I bought a a, a set of tools for $9.99 from the book company that that comes from my workplace. I did. It had a hammer, it had a few screwdrivers, and a few other bits and pieces that I never used. And and, and the thing is, it wasn't too bad, but when I had to do some serious DIY, I found it awkward. I found it difficult. You know, the screwdriver wasn't quite great, didn't quite fit in the screws properly, the hammer was a bit weak, wasn't very heavy. Uh, it was like banging something with aluminium. It wasn't very strong. And so there's, there's something about rigid tools, usable but not great, in the sense that God wants us to be much more dynamic. God needs us to be able to change, to be flexible enough so he can teach us new things. That's the first thing. The second reason we sometimes struggle with new change is nostalgia. Churches become nostalgic. We all do it. I do it. All Christians, we all do. We look back to our, in our church history, and we look back at all, all the wonderful things God has done in the past, and we think, "Oh, it'd a great God! If we can do that again." Or sometimes it's like a, it's, a, it's on a movement level. Now, f- for those who know me, my my sort of church tradition has been Pentecostal, and us Pentecostals, or Pentites, I like to call them, us Pentites, we like to look back to Uza Street, three hundred and twelve Uzer Street, where the mighty William James Sumo, Um preached a massive amazing sermons and thousands upon thousands upon thousands gave their life to Jesus, thousands got filled with the Spirit, people were speaking in tongues, people were getting healed. It was just amazing. There were so many people one night on the porch of that of that building that the porch gave way. It actually they broke the building. There was just too many, it was, there was so, just such a great revival. And as, as Pentecostals, we, we, we have this nostalgia. I mean, if, oh God, if only, God, would you bring back Uzer Street? Would you bring back, um, would, you, would, you, would you give us a new Uzer Street? And you know what God says? No. I want to do something new. Oh God, would you, would you bring back the great days of revival of the past? Would you, would you bring it back again? And God's like, um, no, I don't think so. I want, I want to do something new. Oh God, will you give us an, um, a new William J. Seymour? And he's like, no, I don't, want a, I don't want a new William J. Seymour. I was tired of the old one. I want, to do something. I want new people with new gifts and new dreams and new stories. And so here's the thing. Nostalgia is okay. No. But we don't want too much nostalgia. Because too much nostalgia, what it does, it forms what I call like a glass ceiling of expectation upon what God can do. It's a glass ceiling based on memory. God, we want you to repeat what you've done in the past. This is is the depth and breadth of our expectation of you. This is the depth and breadth of our faith of you. And God's like, you know what, I want to do something new. And the problem is, if it's new, it's not going to be in your memory. Hence why it's called new. It's going to be something new. There's going to be something different. And so your faith needs to be able to get to the point where it goes beyond what you can remember. So nostalgia is okay, but we don't want to become over nostalgic because God wants to do something new. And it also means that God wants to put, i like to say, put new timber in our hearts and in our, and in our minds in preparation for the new things that God wants to do. As you move into this new season of 2020, there's going to be new things God wants to do in our hearts and in our minds. Um, new behaviours even, that God wants to put into our lifestyle in preparation for the new things God wants to do. So what does that mean? Well, it could mean that God wants to change our thinking, Um, change our thinking of ourselves, perhaps. Perhaps some of you have a very negative way of thinking of yourself. And, you know, you kind of got away with it so far, and, you know, it's 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 not that bad. But here's the thing, this is where you are now, this is where God wants to take us as a church, to get there, actually, you might need to change how you think about yourself. You might need to change how you think about someone else. You know, if, if you're if you're going to become more of a diverse church, you know, if if there are prejudices in our hearts, you know, that might have been good enough to get you to this point. But know what? To get to that point, you might need to change our thinking about those other people. You might need to change our thinking about God even. You know, our thinking about God it might be good enough to get to us to this stage. But to get to this stage God's like no you're going to have to rethink a few things it might be a change of practices do where we pray do where we talk about people where we treat people there could be a whole range of things God wants to bring change to why? because he wants to facilitate and create a church that can facilitate the changes that he wants to do in the wider community amen so that's mission um, takeaway number two Number three. Mission takeaway number three is opposition. So now we're getting serious. Opposition and, and being in it together. So chapter one, lament. Chapter two, new, new material. The building project has started. In chapter three, Nehemiah starts experiencing opposition. People, the outside, the enemies, start to take notice. Or what Nehemiah is doing. And at first, you know, they're they just a little bit annoyed, and they, uh, and they start just to mock, you know. They're, they're slightly annoyed, but, but they don't they're not fear him too much, so they just begin mocking him. But as the walls begin to rise, and, and this clearly, God is clearly doing something now, suddenly the opposition goes from mocking to something much more sinister. Um, the opposition becomes much more serious. It goes into um, a risk of violence. It goes into assassination plots. It goes into betrayal and disloyalty. It goes into a spiritual spiritual warfare and spiritual opposition. And, and as a church, as we move from our current phase into a new phase, um, the fact is that enemy is going to start taking us more seriously. And that the level of opposition is going to go up a few gears as well. And so the question is, is how does Nehemiah deal with it? Well, he does a number of things, but I'm going to name two things that he does, um, particularly as a corporate group, which I think we can take on board as a church. The first thing he does, actually, he, is that he groups people in little clans as families and gets them to build sections of the wall. Okay? So this is the famous book when he has, you know, in one hand, hold a shovel, and then the other hand, hold a sword. But, he doesn't, but, it, but they're not doing it as individuals. They're doing it as families. They're doing it as clans. And so I'm thinking about this, and I think actually what God was saying here is that no one needs to be isolated. We all need to be connected. And I think it's quite nice that Justin's mentioned, in fact, that we start in small groups again, because small groups is a great place to start. It's a great place to be connected. Um, If you're not in a small group, join one. Um, If you don't have any friendship groups in the church, Get connected, make friends. If you, if you are in a small group, if you have friendship group, that's great, but widening your circle of concern to include people who are on the fringes. Because we want everyone to be connected. We don't want people to be isolated as we move into this next phase. So that's the first thing he does. He gets everyone connected. The second thing is that the, the groups, think of the small groups, in, as they're doing the, the bits of the wall, some of them are feeling isolated even still. They're in parts of the city where they're feeling isolated even still. And, they, and, and they're aware of the danger that might befall them. And they're aware that the, you know, they might be attacked and they have to fight and defend the wall on their own. And so what, what Nehemiah does, he sets up some watchmen and he says, if they see danger, what they're going to do, they're going to blow a trumpet. And what happens when you hear the trumpet, what you're meant to do is muster together. And I think that's fantastic. Let me explain why. In my previous job, I used to be a fire marshal. Now, fire marshals are the guys who walk around with um, those, those yellow jackets and they basically usher you the building when the fire alarm goes out. And I was, I was one of those for years. And then when we first started, um, every time the alarm went off, I used to find it quite disconcerting um, and a bit, bit of a panic, really, because even though I was a trained fire marshal, when the alarm went off, depending on where I was in the building, I didn't know exactly what to do. I didn't know how much of the building I was to try to evacuate. I had no idea where the other fire marshals were. I didn't know who was in charge. I didn't know if all the fire marshals were in one part of the building and I was in, in, in the other part of the building. It was a bit of a mess, to be honest, and it was quite disconcerting. So what we did was, We changed our way of operating. So what we did was for each floor of the building, we created a muster point. So what happened, when the alarm went off, what we did was we used to go first to the muster point, all the fire marshals. And the first person that came to the fire marshal muster point was the leader. He gets the radio and puts the jacket on, and, and basically he would tell everyone else what to do. And he would say, "Well, you go and look after that wing of the building and get that clear. And You go to the other wing of the building and you would get that clear. And you go to that disabled person at the back and you make sure they get out safely. And you clear the toilets, etc., etc., etc." And the great thing about it was we all felt reassured. We knew where all the other fire marshals were. We knew exactly what we had to do and what we didn't have to do. And suddenly, as a team, we were very efficient and we were very good at doing what we had to do and getting people out of the building. And that's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. He's mustering his people together. He's reassuring them, he's fortifying them, he's encrypting them, and and, and together, they're standing as 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 a single unit to overcome the enemy to overcome opposition. So the question is, what does that mean for us as a church? How do we muster as a church? Well, I'm thinking corporate prayer. I'm thinking corporate worship. I'm thinking corporate fellowship. Um, these are the things we need to start taking as, as a priority. Um, now, some of you, you might not like the idea, and I kind of get it because I'm an introvert which basically means, so I'm told, I get my energy from being on my own. I can literally go for months without seeing any of you guys, and I'll be perfectly fine. <laughs> I'll be perfectly fine, it wouldn't bother me one iota, I'll be, I, I, you know, I can be on my own, I can join my own company. But nevertheless, I recognize as we move into this season, we need to learn to muster more. When it comes to a corporate prayer, you know, rather than it being something that we go to, you know, when we're kinda of in the mood we're not feeling too tired. We need to prioritize it. In this next season. Now in the last season we kind of got away with it and it's okay. But in this next season, we got to up our game. Because the enemy, he's gonna up his game. The enemy's gonna up his game. He's gonna take us a lot more seriously and there's gonna be greater opposition. So we as a church need to up our game. We need corporately, not as individuals, as 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 a corporate church, we need to learn to muster together. And, and, and fight back and defend what God is doing and push forward in what God is doing. Can I get an amen? amen. Good. Final takeaway. And then, and then we might end with a song. For me, it's the best chapter in Nehemiah. In fact, it's one of the best chapters in the whole Bible. Chapter 5. So the wall is more or less complete. It all seems quite good. And then suddenly... Um, some Jewish people come to Nehemiah with complaints. And they say, Nehemiah, we're suffering. We're struggling. We're in debt. We are, um, are, we're su- we're, but we're not in debt to the Persians. We're in debt to other Jewish people. And because we're in so much debt, they're now taking our children and making them slaves. So you've got a situation when Jews are enslaving Jews. And Nehemiah, he's like, what the heck? What, what's going? And he goes to the, the, the Jews that are enslaving the other Jews, and he's like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? We've just come back from exile, where the Persians and the Babylonians have enslaved us, have exploited us, have abused us, and now you have your freedom, you're going to behave the same way? Really? Really? What sort of Jew are you? What sort of Jew do you want to become? What sort of people are we trying to be? That's the question he asks. Now recently I was watching a, a, a bit of a, I guess it's like a, like a, a bit of video footage of, uh, a, there's a panel of Christians and they're talking about a particular famous preacher who recently purchased a private jet, um, a, a very big private jet, lovely private jet, Um, for his ministry and you know the reason he did it he says he got such a good deal he had to buy it Um, that's what he said so they were discussing it and they were saying well he might have been able to afford it but why spend it on a private jet something that benefits only really himself you know what kind of Christian is he trying to be you know in other words, this, this whole chapter is about integrity. This whole chapter is about your character. It's about your motivations. Is that what sort of Christian are you trying to be? What sort of person are you trying to be? Now, you get to the next slide, please. Um, on the left hand side is, um, is a tattoo um, taken from um, Micah Um, chapter 6 verse 8 which says act justly, love mercy walk humbly and it's on the arm of a a Christian blogger called Jamie White and this is actually her arm, this is actually her tattoo Um, this is is actually another picture of her getting a tattoo put on and she's got a smile but almost grimacing at the same time because she's obviously in a lot of pain Um, and anyway so in her book, at the end of her book she writes about an old man walking up to her on the street. She's just had a tattoo put on her arm on her 40th birthday. And a few days later, a guy walks up to her on the street and and he stares at the tattoo. He stares like this. In a really sort of weird, almost creepy way, like this. Almost, almost touching it. He's looking at it for ages. He goes on for about a good minute or so. And then he, he starts to read what's on her arm. He says, Act justly, um, Love mercy. Walk humbly. And she's like, yep, that's 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 kind of what it says. Uh, and he goes Well do you? Do, do I what? Do you act justly, do you love mercy and do you walk humbly? And she was kind of taken back by it, but she's honest. She says, Well, no, not always. But I want to. I really honestly I really want to. It's something I really want to do. That's the kind of person I want to be. And so in response to that, he goes, hey, well, I'm going to make a pact with you. If you. I will try and do that as well if you try and do it. And then she says, right, good. I will do my best to do that. So they kind of make this pact at the end of the book, which I thought was, quite, I thought was amazing. I like it because you know, it's not about being perfect, but it's about deciding what kind of person you want to be, what kind of Christian you want to be. So, just like Jamie White made this pact with this old guy in Nehemiah, he makes makes an agreement with the people. And they agree, you know what, they're going to stop that injustice. They're going to stop enslaving each other. They're going to stop mistreating each other. And they're they're going to start doing things the right way. And because it it was a corporate thing, it wasn't just individuals, even Nehemiah himself, he makes a sacrifice. As he was like the guy in charge, he basically was, he had the right to take some of, of funds to keep for himself. He chooses to give up a lot of that to help those who are struggling. And So as a, as a, as a group, as a people, they make a decision, you know what, we're going we're to live with integrity. Okay. If you're going to do this, let's do this right. And it's important because the scary thing about this whole Nehemiah story is the fact that they built the wall even though there were lots of people who lacked integrity. They managed to do it while still having bad character. There are churches that exist that are huge and they've got bums on seats but the people still lack integrity. So a lack of integrity doesn't necessarily stop a success. But the problem is, is, what the point? What's the point having a, 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 an amazing city with an amazing wall if the way you behave inside the wall is no different to the way people behave outside the wall? What's the point of having a massive church with bums on seats if the way you behave inside the church is no different than the people you're trying to outreach to? Okay, so it matters. In fact, out of all the four points, this is, this is the biggest one. The other three points are almost irrelevant if this one is not done. So let me quickly recap the four takeaways. One, you need to lament. We need to learn to care for the people we're reaching out to. Two, we need to be willing to change. If we want God to do something new, then it starts with us. Three, as opposition comes, and it will come, we need to be work together. Now, as individuals, we all need to be connected, both in smaller groups and as a larger unit. And four, we all need to walk with integrity. Amen. As a closing prayer, can the worship team come up for one more song? Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for what you're doing to us as a church. We're grateful for what you're doing for us as a as a larger family that you're taking us into a new season. Season of mission. Seasonal change in changing people's lives. We're grateful for the, for, the, for the early signs of that already. We're so grateful for Darren's story. And that this is just the beginning of, of the wonderful many things that you want to do for, in us as a church, as individuals. But Lord, will you help us to learn from the lessons shown in Nehemiah? Will you help us to be a church that really cares for people? A church that's willing to change, that's willing to grow up, that's willing to to keep learning, to not be rigid, to not be caught so much by nostalgia that we can no longer see new things you want to do. To be a church that works together, that that stays connected, and finally to be a church of integrity. Would you do this for us, Lord? Would you remind us, would you help us to, to encourage each other in this? In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know, we're going to sing one more worship song if, if, if any of those points really resonate to you and you want prayer I know the time is late but seek prayer you can come up to the front you can ask one of the leaders in, amongst the church ask a friend next to you but, yeah, but do something, respond to God Amen